Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, How to Neighbor. In this series, we are learning how to build relationships with our neighbors and how to do good in the context of those relationships. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Man, what a, uh, what a song. <laughs> you know, the chorus helped me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth so that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Um, church, I'm excited about this morning because I think that this morning there's potential for inspiration and life change. Not because I have the perfect message planned, not because the worship band is as talented as can be, but because the Holy Spirit, I think, is leading our church into a really exciting season. But I believe that God this morning is gonna stir some hearts in a significant way in personal response. And so I'm starting with that. So there's big expectations because I know it's the heart of God this morning. So we're in the second week of this series called How to Neighbor. And basically this series is looking at four major ways, four major topics and issues in our society that the church needs to neighbor better. Now, when Jesus was asked by an expert of the law, you know, Jesus, what is the, you know, what is the greatest law? What is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord God with all that you are. And the second equally as great is to love your neighbor as yourself. And so in this series, we're looking at how as the church, we can love better. We can neighbor better. And neighbor isn't just someone that you share a fence with, but neighbor is anybody who is in need, anybody that walks this earth, no matter what color, no matter what um, background, no matter what socioeconomic, we are called to neighbor, period. And so last week we, we took on the topic of, of races reconciled. And we began at the beginning of a very important conversation of how the church can be on the front lines against racism in our culture. And we went over this, this main point that racism was not a skin issue, but it was a sin issue. That racism at its core is, is, is sin at its worst form, and it's so far from the heart of God. Next week, we have a special guest. His name is Andy Needham. Andy is our district or interim district executive minister whew, for Converge. Um, basically, our network of churches, he's the guy that's in charge. And, uh, and he's helping us out as we're looking for somebody permanent in that role. But Andy's a good friend, an amazing communicator. Um, he lives up at, um, in the Camp Berea area in New Hampshire, but he has been pivotal in organizing and training leaders in this region. And so Andy's speaking for us next week, and Andy's gonna talk about poor and powered. And basically the whole thought is, how can the church not just give a handout, but a hand up to the poor? But this week, we have a topic that is... is uh, has become, honestly, it hasn't always been. I'm going to be transparent, but it has become very, very close to my heart. And this week, we're going to focus on a message entitled, Orphans Embraced. You know, the sad reality in the world that we live in church is that just because a woman gets pregnant or a couple gets pregnant does not mean that they are ready or equipped to parent a child. Just because a woman gets pregnant does not mean that she is ready or equipped to be a mom yet. Some of these ladies are struggling with major addiction. Some of them are victims of horrible abuse. 
Some of them suffer mental illness. Some have never been showed love in their own lives. And so they have no context of what it would look like to love a baby. Some of these women and men are not yet equipped to be good caregivers for children. This is the reality of the world that we live in. And because of this today, we have some, uh, some numbing statistics. And I just wanted to read, this is uh, from the AFCAR's report, the Adoption and Foster Care Analysis and Reporting System. It's part of the U.S. Department of Health. And uh, this was a, a, a 2016 report. It's the most recent one that they have. And I literally, church, was, you know, because this message series, we can't take full credit for this series. This was a, a message series that was done originally by a church called Life Church, uh, which is Craig Rochelle. And so we've kind of taken the framework of it. But, you know, I was watching it, and they had older statistics. So I'm like, I need to update these statistics. And I sat in my bed with my daughter, it was late at night, my daughter was sleeping in the other room, and my son, my four-year-old, my one-year-old, I just wept, reading these statistics. I, I promised myself I'm not gonna cry this morning, but reading these statistics of the epidemic that is the foster care and adoption issue in our country. Let me read to you some of them this morning. Over the past six years, there's been an 8% increase of children entering the foster care system. You'd think that as we grow as a society, that number would go down. And it did for a season in 2012. From before that, there was this trend down. But from 2012 on, we see an 8% increase of children entering the foster care system. On any given day, don't miss this number. On any given day, there are around 430,000 children in the foster care system in the United States of America. Any given day. Today, there are 430,000 children in the system that don't have forever homes. In 2015, just in that year alone, that's any given day, in that whole year, there were 670,000 children that spent time, you know, at some time at all in the U.S. foster care system. And that number is growing worse by the day. Now, the, the goal of fostering, I think the ultimate goal is, is to reunite, you know, kids with their birth parents. Like, that would be the, the ideal situation is, you know, that the birth parents, for whatever reason, the kids were removed from the house, and hopefully that was addressed, and kids are returned. But as we all know, that's not the case a lot of times. And actually, right now in the U.S., there are 118,000 children who cannot be returned to their families and are waiting for adoption whether it's because parents gave up their parental rights or they were taken away, there are 118 children today, church, in our world who don't have a home to go home to. In 2014, there were 50,644 foster kids that were adopted, a number that stayed roughly consistent for the past five years, which is concerning because of the trend of kids entering the system. The average age of a waiting child is seven and a half years old. In Connecticut alone, this is our state, on any given day, there are more than 4,500 kids in foster care in our state. Many of whom are looking for permanent homes. 
This is just in the U.S., and and we're going to be focusing on the U.S. right now, but I wanted to do the world justice. In the world, there are 153 million orphans, 17.8 million of them are what are considered double orphans, meaning they don't have a mom or a dad. Either they've abandoned them or, or they've, you know, passed away. Church, that's enough to fill a Super Bowl stadium, that 17.8 double orphans, over 180 times. So these numbers um, are sobering. They're overwhelming, they're bleak, they're insurmountable. But what we have to remember is that there are far more Christians in the United States than there are children in need of safe homes. Let me read you these statistics. This is from Pew Research and the Barna Group. In the United States alone, there are nearly 240 million Christians. As of 2010, there is an estimated, so it's higher now, 2.2 billion adherents to Christianity worldwide. Listen carefully, church. If one family, one family for every one out of three churches adopted or fostered a child, there'd be no kids left in the United States foster care system. If one family in one of every three churches adopted a kid or became a forever home or a foster family, there would be no kids left in our foster care system. I don't say these things to make us feel like, oh, you know, I'm guilty now and all that. That's not the heart. I'm telling you this because again, there are far more Christians in the world today and even in our country than there are children who need a safe home. And that is proof that the church is God's plan A. See, I don't worship a God that's like, oops, this happened. I worship a God that is all powerful and sovereign that we see in his word. He doesn't make mistakes and he has a plan. And I think for a long time, we've relied on on the government and systems and nonprofits and all these other organizations to do the job that the church should be doing. Now, I'm not saying that those organizations aren't good. I'm not bashing the foster care system in any way, shape, or form. But what I am saying is that if you look at the number of Christians, professing Christians, and the number of churches, and the number of kids, this shouldn't be a problem. Church is God's plan A to help children who are in need. I want to look at the words of of James. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus, and he wrote a book called James in the New Testament. And he defines what pure religion is. And it says this in James 1.27. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let me read it again because this is it. Like basically James is saying, this is what God looks at as pure religion. This is the heartbeat of God. It's to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to care for the orphans, to care for the widows, and keep ourselves pure from being tempted by all the sin in the world. See, loving and caring for those in need, for the children in need, is a central theme of the gospel. So much so that I actually believe that it is ingrained in, in each one of us. You know, the Bible talks about whether we know it or not, that we, we're all created by a heavenly God and, and we all have a God-breathed DNA inside of us. 
And I believe firmly that God has ingrained the desire to help and care for those in need into each one of us. Whether you profess to to love Jesus or not, I feel like this is a human thing. And I'll prove it to you. If I did this right now, I'm going to show you a picture in a second. And if I showed you some pictures of children and told you their stories and said, hey, these are kids in our community, I know that there would be so many of you that would jump out of your seat and say, what can I do to help? Let's get it. Our church is great at meals. We've had to turn away like 10,000 meals for Pastor Clark. If we could like localize that energy, we could like feed a country. But like, you know, I'll give a meal or I'll give some money or what do you need? I mean, I even overheard, you know, David and Amber, and we'll get to them in a second, don't worry. But, you know, people come how can we help you guys with, with the new baby? All these different things that I think ingrained in our human DNA is a desire to help. So this picture right here, this is three-month-old Sarah. Sarah, her dad is in prison for life for a, an unspeakable crime. Her mom is in rehab trying to overcome her heroin addiction that she's been struggling with for 15 years. Sarah's in the foster care system. This is 10-year-old Thomas. Thomas never knew who his father was. He just was never around. His mom never knew who he was. His mom last year overdosed on Oxycontin and passed away. Thomas has no parents and no family. I can guarantee you again, church, because of how we're wired and the God DNA inside each one of us, that there would be so many of you who'd be like, I'm taking Thomas in. Like, let's go. Let's bring him home. Like, you know, I'll do it. Or, or, you know, all these different things. Why would you do this? Because you saw faces, heard names, and heard a story. Now, these aren't real kids. I made them up. I mean, obviously. But like, you want to jump because you saw faces, you heard names, and you heard their story. Listen, church, this is the most important thing of the morning. Of all the 430,000 children needing homes in our country, every single one of them has a face, a name, and a story. Every single child has a face, a name, and a story. And I believe that God calls the church to care for those in need. You know, I made a list of some of the big problems in the world today some of the big problems that are facing our families and some of the big problems that are facing our society. And as I made the list, I asked myself this, and and I'm gonna read it and I want you to ask yourself this. Who pays the highest price for these problems? Broken families, fatherlessness, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, incarceration, homelessness, domestic abuse, economic struggle, abortion, gang violence, racism, teenage pregnancy, human trafficking, rape. Who pays the highest price for these problems? The kids do. Those who didn't cause it and can't do anything about it pay the highest price for all of these issues. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why God told us, plan A, the church in Psalm 82. He says, to the church, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, which we'll get to next week. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Defend the weak, the fatherless. Rescue the weak and the needy. See, I think that we all have that sense. Even you right now, you're like, you're feeling that emotion. A lot of you are, like I am myself. We have that sense of desiring to care for those in need because we're good human beings. Like most of us, if not all of us, are like, you know, we have our stuff, we have our issues, but like we would consider ourselves good people. And if you see somebody in trouble, 
You want to help. Your heart goes out to them. Like, that's our nature. Sometimes it goes overboard. You know, there's a story that I have, you know, as I said last week, and somebody gave me a hard time about this morning, but I'm not a fan of country music, and I hate cats. Those are two things that are part of my life. And so I'm not now. Before you think I'm a horrible person for hating cats, I have a horrible cat allergy, so it's their fault, not mine, okay? And so, you know, I'm allergic to animals, but cats, like, if I'm around a cat or in a house with a cat for too long, like, I'm on Benadryl for, like, six months. Like, it's, it's crazy. And so my wife, on the other hand, is a cat person. You all are a special breed of human beings, by the way. But she's a cat person. She loves cats. Before we met, she had this cat named Bauer. And when we got really serious, I looked at her and I said, Lisa, it's me or Bauer. Like, I literally can't come over to your house, watch a movie, then go home and die for four days. Like, it's not going to happen. And so, like, but I don't under, like, I don't have, like, the, the emotional you know, connection to animals. I'd never had them grow. I had a hamster. I killed a couple of hamsters. That's a whole other story. But like, I'll tell you sometimes, but I don't have that emotional reaction, but my wife does. She's an animal person. And so she sees an animal and she like wants to help it. So we're in Tennessee and, and we were living there at the time and we were walking out of Kroger, which is like the stop and shop of the South. And they're like purring right next to the door of the Kroger or, or next door was this little helpless, little emaciated cat, kitten, Little kitten. So for me, I'm like, I'm like, let's go. And I looked at my wife, or she wasn't my wife at the time. I looked at Lisa, who was my, that, my current girlfriend. I'm like, don't even think about it. Because I knew. I knew exactly what she gave me. And husbands, you know, look, but she gave me the, please look. And I'm just like, oh, no. And so somehow, my wife convinced me to take this little ball of death to me into our car, smell. I mean, it was just like, this was like a cat. And so she's holding this cat, like crying. I mean, I'm like just so confused at the world. And so again, the worst case scenario of severe cat allergy is like, let's just get in a little box together, like a little car box. And like, just like, so my eyes immediately, I'm starting to itch. I'm like, you sneeze. I mean, it was this whole thing. So guess what happens next? We get pulled over. <laughs> now think about what happens when you have allergies. Your eyes get really red. And you're just like a little disoriented. So I'm like, I swear, officer, like I'm a pastor. This is the cat. I didn't want the cat. It's her fault. Take her. Like, I'm like, like, I'm like freaking out because I hate cats. And so, so we end up taking this thing home. And uh, I mean, or we, she took it to her house. It's not coming to my house. And so she took it to her house and took care of it. And I think we ended up finding, of course, like you couldn't find a shelter for like six weeks. So like she had the thing for a while. And so she found a shelter, brought the cat. But why did she save the cat? I don't know. Okay, I would have been fine. I'm good. Like, I'm heartless in that area, apparently. She saved it because it was cute, it was helpless, and it was offenseless, but really it was right there. It was right there in front of her. You know, so many of us, if we were, like, driving down the road and there was a car accident that happened in front of us and there was a need, we would all run out of our cars and help. Absolutely. Because it's right in front of us. But the problem is that it's so easy in our world to live an out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality where it's like, you know what, these kids aren't in front of me, or these kids aren't in my community, or, you know, we live in a great area, and we don't see that as often. I've got my own kids. I've got my own problems. Maybe it's your kids. <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have nearly enough money to go around. I'm too busy. I have a demanding job. I have so much going on. I don't have time to care for anyone else. But let me tell you something, church. Our God cares for these children, these 438,000 kids, more than we could ever imagine. And I believe he's calling us, his church, to care for them as well. 
Psalm 68 says, a father to the fatherless, a defendo of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. So God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. God sets the lonely in families. I have this really cool picture when I read this. This is just in my head of like God hearing the prayer of a little kid saying, Jesus, just find me a forever family. Just, I, I don't want to be here anymore. I just want to go home somewhere. And God hears that prayer and then he finds that family that he put something on their heart and they said yes. And he brings that kid into that family and places them into that family to feel loved and cared for for potentially the first time. That's what I picture here, church. So here's the question. What if God has his eye on your family? What if God has your home or your family in mind? What if, you were to an, what if you were the answer to some child's prayer? Now, some of us, including myself, when I first kind of wrote this, this makes us really uncomfortable. I will never, and I said this before, ever desire to guilt anybody into action. And, and to let a lot of you off the hook, I don't think that everybody, I know that, I don't, that everybody is not called to foster or adopt directly. Like I know that because my wife and I are not called to foster and adopt, but we are called and commanded to be a part of that process in one way or another. But for some of you, even right now, there's something, there's a tugging on your heartstrings that maybe you are called. But before you say no, this is all I ask. Just pray. Pray, God, how would you have us to be involved? God, how would you call our family to be a blessing to somebody in need? I want to show you this morning as, as you know, this is kind of the, the end of this portion of the service. I want to show you two examples from our body, Valleybrook people, of families who prayed and were obedient when God called them to get involved. And the first one is the Rohan family, so check out the screen. Well, I've invited up uh, David and Amber Seiler. Um, David's our student pastor here at Valley Brook, and uh, many of you have been involved in uh, a really cool story and process with David and Amber. And actually, um, I'd like to uh, proudly present to you, not only in David and Amber Seiler, but David, Amber, and Oliver Seiler this morning. And many of you have been following their story, and uh, the cool God moment is that we actually had them scheduled to do community time this morning just to kind of prevent, present, uh, you know, Oliver to our church family. And, and then as we were scheduling and planning, this all fell on the same Sunday, so that's a, that's a cool God thing. But I just asked David and Amber um, just to share a little bit of, of their story and their process with us this morning as we, so we can just kind of see how God has worked and, and moved and their lives and then the life of this beautiful little uh, baby boy. Um, so David and Amber, I guess the first question is, what inspired you to start the adoption process? What inspired you to, to, to go that direction? Sure. So Amber and I both, uh, growing up, we had a lot of different uh, medical issues. And really, due to that, neither one of us knew if we would be able to have biological children. Um, and both of us, really, even before we knew each other, we knew that we wanted to have children. And we just kind of said, hey, adoption is, is for us. If we can't have biological children, then, then we want to adopt. Um, 
everything with our relationship, especially early on, was weird. Um, <laughs> on our very first date, which we met online, so it was the first time that we had ever met, we basically put all our cards on the table and talked about marriage <laughs> and talked about adoption, and um, we were really on the same page with that from the beginning. Uh, and so, so you guys decided to adopt, and you decided, you know, you got married, you moved to the foreign land of Connecticut from Alabama, and, and you decided to, uh, you know, to go through this process, you know, that we've been, you know, again, praying and, and following you guys through here. I'll move this out of your way. Um, but I just love, if Amber, if you wouldn't mind just sharing us a little bit of, you know, what did, what did this process look like for you guys? What were some of the challenges, you know, those types of things? Um, so the first thing was deciding what route we wanted to go with adoption. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that you can adopt. Um, I actually learned in, at an adoption conference, the it was the first time I had learned about um, you can adopt embryos. Did not know this. So there's lots of different ways you can go um, in adoption. And I've always um, wanted a baby. I just knew that... Um, that was something God had put on my heart. And as we just learned um, from the Romans, um, Kim especially um, expressed that heartbreak that can come from not knowing that that child is going to get to stay with you. So there was this part of me that felt really selfish wanting a baby, but um, I got a lot of affirmation from God, um, from friends. Um, I had lots of dreams about holding a baby, and I just knew that that was the way that we were supposed to go. Um, so... We chose domestic infant adoption, and then um, a lot of different steps. There's a lot of paperwork. You have to have a home study, which involves a lot of paperwork, visits in your home from a social worker. Um, we had to put together an adoption profile, which is basically everything about our lives in one, like, 10-page booklet um, that people really are judging you on. It's to, to give to the birth parents, um, birth mother, to evaluate your profile and say, is this the person that I want to choose to be my child's parents? And so it was very, um, that was one of the most difficult things yeah. for me personally, um, was I was very insecure about that profile. I like, David eventually just had to take my computer away from me because <laughs> I would just like sit there yeah. and just cry about it. Cause I'm like, no one's going to want us. Like what's special yeah. about us? Um, so that was very difficult. Um, and then I said, our story is amazing. Why would they not want us? <laughs> um, sure. Very uh, humble. Whatever. <laughs> um, so, um, so after all of that, um, we finally went active with our agency in November um, of last year. And um, what that kind of looks like is they, you fill out a form, a piece of paper that says what you're willing to take, like what demographics you're willing to take. Um, what race, what gender, um, disabilities, prematurity. We said, we're open to any race, <laughs> either gender, um, but no disabilities, no prematurity, because that's just too difficult. I don't think we're prepared for that. Our house isn't, like, equipped for that. David's job, I mean, we don't make, like, we're not rich. We can't, you know, I don't think we can afford for me to be out of state with a premature baby for four months <laughs> or two months even. Um, <laughs> and as we, most of you know, um, Oliver was premature, so that was something. But anyways, and, and Dan, like you, you said it about like every child has a, has a story. And so our agency actually, when they started sending us emails, they would send us emails with a case. And the, um, the 
person who works for the agency pretty much in our first conversation said, I'm going to send you things that are kind of out of your comfort zone, things that you mm. said that you weren't really open to because it's easy to say what you will take um, when you're just filling out a demographic sheet. But when you see the whole story, yeah. sometimes your heart changes and God works in that. And so about, uh, about a week or two before um, we got the email about Oliver, my heart had just started to soften and change a little. And I approached David and I said, you know, why are we saying no to some of these things? Like, you know, if that's not what God has for us, then they won't choose us. And so we just started saying yes to a lot of things that we were not really equipped for. Um, and so one night, Wednesday night, in, or Wednesday in January, we got an email. Um, it was just a case about a, a bit, another baby. We get them, we got sometimes three or four a day, and we mm -hmm. had to say yes or no within a couple hours to a day. Um, and so I, David texted me and said, did you see the new case? And I was like, no, let me look at it. And he said, I think we should say yes. And so I'm looking at it, and I'm, I texted him back, and I said, you do know that the baby is like four months early. And like my joke and the truth is that I, do, I don't think David knows how long women are supposed to be pregnant for. Because it said 24 weeks, but gestation. So, so in my defense, oh boy. our Wednesday night starts oh at like, kids start getting there at six o'clock. It was like 4.30 when we got the email. And so I'm kind of trying to get everything ready. And I really just skimmed the email. Um, so. It, no, it wasn't it said, a detailed it reading. It said 24 or weeks anything. gestation. I'm like, do you know how long a woman's supposed to be pregnant for? <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was like, I, I mean, he's four months early, and David said, I think we should still say yes. And I said, okay, well, if that's not the right one, then it, then they won't choose us. Then we just went about the day, and because we had gotten so many no's, like in the last three months, I was not expecting a yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I really thought they're not going to choose us anyway, yeah. so why, why don't the we risk? say yes? <laughs> um, so then, you know, we did Wednesday night. We were at home. We were eating at 930 because that's what youth people do. You eat really <laughs> late at night. Um, and we had corn dogs in the oven and, you know, whatever. Um, and my phone rang, and it was the adoption agency. And I was like, there's no reason for them to be calling me unless we're matched. So I answered the phone, and she was like, are you ready to be a mom? Wow. And David, <laughs> David was like, who is it? <laughs> and I was like freaking out, and he's like, who is it? <laughs> he, he thought it was a man. I don't know why a man would be calling me at 930, but um, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so, I'm going to touch that yeah, with 10 football. I don't All know. right. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, and... So that's how we got matched with him, which was crazy. And I went to Phoenix. Yeah. So, so Oliver was born early. Yeah. So you uh, took a sabbatical from Connecticut. From life, really. From life. And, and you lived in Phoenix for a couple of months. And you, you know, went back and forth. You flew back and forth. You were, um, you know, if you guys don't know how great of a student pastor is, you have a student pastor who literally flew back and forth to be here to do youth group on Wednesday night or Wednesday nights. And so it's just a... Uh, was a cool testament to David's commitment, you know, to this body. But so that whole, all that happens, you know, Oliver, they, they give you the green light. You're able to leave Arizona, but you couldn't come into Connecticut because right. of the adoption law. And then somebody awesome decided. So then he Dan Hermance yeah. went yeah. and picked you up in Boston <laughs> at 1 a.m. and yeah. brought you to a hotel in Westfield, Connecticut, or Westfield, Mass, until you could come into Connecticut. And the next day, Oliver came home, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's, 
been, and again, uh, many of us have been following you guys through this process and praying with you and, and, and have had your backs from afar, but uh, we just love to, I just love to know, what, what did you guys, what did God teach you and what did you learn, you know, from the Lord through this process? Um, I'll let David say too, but um, so for me, like one of my big spiritual gifts from the time I was even like young, I would take the little spiritual gift assessment at church and I would always get faith as my like big one. Oh, I'm, you're faithful or full of faith or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, and for me, yeah, it, it has been easier for me to trust God in some situations than maybe for other people. But I feel like you you never stop growing. You never yeah. stop in, in your faith. And um, so just, I feel like my faith has grown. My ability to say yes in situations that yeah, maybe are not, um, ideal, maybe are inconvenient. Um, I feel like I now, moving forward from this, will, like my fear of the unknown is a little less because there were a lot of unknowns adopting a baby who was born at one pound, eight ounces. Um, and, you know, I, I, I just feel like God has just strengthened my faith and yeah. um, just shown me that it's okay to say yes, because he's always going to walk alongside me in that. That's great. Well, you know, with me, a lot of people ask, like, well, what's it like with your wife being gone? You know, are you worried because he's so premature? He's so tiny. I mean, when I first saw him, like, he was smaller than my hand. And, you know, his arm and leg was smaller than my pinky. You know, he was just absolutely tiny. And, and you know, my answer was, like, yeah, it's hard being, being apart, but, like, I never really worried about him being okay because I felt like this was the child that God matched us with yeah. and this is our son now and it's going to be our son yeah. in the years to come. And so I never really struggled with that, but uh, Amber can tell you, like, I'm very laid back, but I'm also not always a patient person. Um, and so God really helped me grow in, in patience through this because you know, my wife was living across the country for 125 days and, um, you know, going back and forth to see her and Oliver, I mean, kind of became, became difficult. I got very impatient flying on planes <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, God really taught me some, some patience through that especially. Well, guys, we appreciate you sharing your story. We celebrate with you, you know, Oliver. But uh, just as we close this time, I just, I'd love to pray over you too, if you don't mind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the Siler family. Father, we thank you that, um, that you tugged on their heart and they said yes. And uh, Father, we just praise you for the birth of Oliver Siler. Father, we, uh, we just continue to pray for health and, and uh, um, that he would grow up to be um, just a mighty man of God. Um, Father, and that you would just give David and Amber wisdom as they continue to learn uh, how to be mom and dad and they'll always be learning that as we all are. Um, but God, we just pray blessing and provision over this family in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's show our appreciation to uh, David and Amber one more time. So church, I, I want to draw to a close here because I know that we're a little over this morning, but um, I think that there's a couple important things. You know, if you, one of the biggest things that I, I kind of, the Lord revealed to me, you know, through this particular message was that if you invite a child into your home that doesn't have a home, into your home, 
you may never be more like God than in that moment. Let me say it again. And if you invite a child without a home into your family, you may never be more like God than in that moment. Because that's exactly what God did to each one of us. You know, in Ephesians 1.5, it said, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted. I love this. And it gave him great pleasure. See, each one of us was separated from God. We were orphans because of our sin, but God loved us and took so much pleasure in it that he sought us out. He paid a big price through sending his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we could be adopted. The, the Bible talks about being grafted you know, into to his family tree, that we could be adopted and share his name and be called sons and daughters. So when we care for these children, we're caring for the heart of God. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I could never foster, I could never, die. that would be a heartbreaking thing. But I, one quote that you'll know if you've ever been in this process is, if it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. But if you do in this moment feel the Lord tugging on your heart to potentially begin this process, you know, David, as we were meeting before, he said at one of their adoption conferences, you know, they tell you, if, even if there's like a little inkling of maybe this might be something we want to look into, the, you know, the agencies say just, start the process, like check out the paperwork, do that, and the Lord will make it clear if it's the right fit or not. Because again, church, I'm not trying to guilt anybody into this. I do not feel that everybody is called to adopt or foster, but we're all called and commanded to be part of that process. But if that's you, if you feel like that's your inkling or you feel like the Lord's leading to you to that, I want to make you two promises, simple promises. One, it won't be easy. There will be more tears and complications than you can ever imagine. You know, because we, we have the, the beautiful baby Oliver, but, you know, I walked with David and Amber through this process, and there was a lot of no's, and there was a lot of anxiety. And with the Romans, many of you walked them through. It, we make more complications and tears than you could ever imagine, but the second point is this. The second promise is this. The child is so worth it. The child is so worth it. So the reality is everyone can't adopt or foster, but everyone can do something. So what do I do? You know, because as I said before, my wife and I, Lisa, we don't feel called to directly adopt or foster for, for multiple reasons. And we prayed about it and we've sought after the Lord and we just don't feel called in this season of our life. But for me, you know, I, I did student ministries for years, like what David does now. That was one way that I was able to, to be a godly dad figure to some of these boys. I can use, this is just speaking for me, I can use my voice as an influence, as a ministry leader. You know, one of the, the times I've seen my wife beaming was when Amber had her baby shower for Oliver when he was coming home. And Lisa, Gret, our, our boy was not one pound. When Noah, if you say Noah, we call him Noah Bear. He's a chunky old little boy. And so we bypassed a lot of clothes. Like he never could wear most of them because he was a little too chunky for him. So like Lisa's getting all these clothes and she's so excited to give them to Amber so another child could use them. You, know, you could volunteer to provide respite care, to provide care for maybe, you know, the ministry house. We heard last week that Stephen, Sheridan, and Alice would love for some people to help and, and carry some weight so they can get a break every once in a while. You can get involved in local organization. You know, there's tons of ways that you can get involved. You know, I was a, a, a big brother type of situation in Tennessee at the Nashville Children's Home where I went weekly and took a boy, simple, two hours a week. I took, you know, a seventh grade boy whose parents abandoned him out to lunch. 
And I remember there was one moment where he stood at the deodorant aisle in CVS weeping because he didn't know what he was supposed to buy because there's no dad there to walk him or mom there to walk him through puberty. And so I was able to fill in in that moment. Hear this carefully this morning, church, because it means a lot to God and it should mean a lot to us. This is a statement. This is one of the closing statements I want to make. So don't tune out. This means so much to God. We here at Valleybrook firmly believe in the sanctity of life. We care about all life. We deeply value the life of the unborn child. We deeply value the life of the baby. We deeply value the life of the pregnant teenage girl who is scared to death of, of rejection because of her untimely pregnancy. We deeply value the lives and care for the brokenhearted adult who lost his, his or her parental rights because they weren't adequately equipped to care for their children. We care for all life and all life doesn't just need, listen, doesn't just need a family, but needs a spiritual family. So what can we do, church? You can pray first and foremost. Always begin with prayer, but don't pray with an answer in mind. Pray with an open heart. You can babysit. You can provide, you know, transport for, for somebody to get to and from youth group or activities. You can throw a baby shower for somebody who's adopting. You can volunteer as a caseworker. You can buy as many diapers and clothing and all these things as you can fit in your car and drop them off at the ministry house. You could make a meal. As I said before, we're good at making meals at Valley Brook. You can help a single parent who's been completely drowning in the weight of their responsibilities. You can serve in our kids' ministry, our student ministry. Let me tell you what, we have ministries every Sunday and, and mornings and then during the school year once a week that are filled with students who don't have a full family together, many of which are coming from really rough situations. Men, you could step up and show our teenage boys what it looks like to be a strong, godly man. Women, you could step up and show our teenage girls what it looks like to be a strong, godly woman. You can volunteer as a student leader. There are so many ways that we can get involved, but a lot of times you say, well, I can't adopt, so maybe I'll just write a check, and that's great. There's so much need for finances, and I'm not poo-pooing that, but church, there are so many ways that you can get involved to show Jesus to these kids. Investing in the life of one child won't change the world, but let me tell you this, for that one child, it will change his or her world. So let's dream to close. Dream with me. What if our churches, but our family here at Valley Brook, what if there was a waiting list to serve in children's ministry? That is like a dream. What if there's a waiting list to serve in children's ministry? What if there's a waiting list to be a youth volunteer? Like you want to do it, but Dave's like, sorry, man, like we're all full. What if every single mom or single dad in this community had overwhelming support and they had to turn people away? What if a woman or a girl with an untimely pregnancy didn't just meet judgment, but met a caring spiritual family and thought in her head, I'm so glad my church cares for me in the midst of this time of my life. What if in our state, Instead of 4,500 children waiting for a family to love them, we had families waiting for a child who needs a home. What if we flipped the system on its head? What if the ministry house was so overwhelmed with diapers and supplies and finances that they had to bring it 
all the extras to other houses in the area and they were able to supply this network of people caring for pregnant women. I firmly believe this, not just because I'm supposed to say it, but I firmly believe that if our church, Valleybrook, not the other churches, but our church, you guys here, me, my family, my kids, my wife, if we would rise up, then these things could happen because our God is greater than any issue. If we simply pray and if he leads, but then you gotta say yes. The church is plan A. Let's pray to close. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. And I wanna pray this morning. Father, I pray that you would move us out of our comfort zone. Father, that we would truly seek after you and how you desire us to be part of the plan A. How you would desire us to be part of caring for the orphans, to be a part of dealing with this epidemic of foster care. That how we could play a part in being love and being Jesus and the heart of God to these 380,000 kids in the U.S. alone. Father, help us to be bold. Help us to step out and take risks. Help us to realize that it's not about us being comfortable, but it's about us being like Jesus and being love. And as your heads are bowed and eyes closed, church, I wanna ask you to do something bold. Keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. But if you feel like the Lord is tugging on your heart this morning, this doesn't mean that you're saying, I wanna adopt a kid right away. But if you feel like the Lord is doing something in your heart that you say, I wanna commit, I wanna, I wanna commit that maybe through one of these stories or through scripture or a tug of the Holy Spirit, I commit to being open to what God has for me and I commit to pray about it and actually listen and explore options. I want you to raise your hand right now. If you commit to take a step and to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm listening. I want you to raise your hand right now. Don't worry, I'm not gonna find you and give you a child. <laughs> but this is a bold way that we can respond and say, all right, God, what do you have for me? Father, I pray over all these hands this morning. I pray that you would truly help us to take risks. Father, help us to be plan A. Help these dreams not to be dreams, but to be realities. Father, we praise you in advance for what you're gonna do in and through our body. Father, help us to love with open arms. It's in your name we pray, amen. Well, church, Oh, again, as last week, this is the beginning of a conversation. We don't have at Valley Brook specific organizations that we work with. We've never um, kind of gotten involved in that way from an official church level, but we have a lot of people who foster and have adopted. And, and we have a great internet that you can Google stuff too. <laughs> but if you really are, are like, want to get involved in this in some way and you truly can't figure it out, please call the office this week. Email me. Email the office. We'd love to try to put you in contact with somebody from our body who's walked through this process. Talk with the Silers. They're going to say they don't need anything, but don't listen to them. Just give them money, people. I'm just kidding. Or, I mean, you can. Ministry, ministry House. They need diapers still. They still need diapers. One, twos, and threes, I believe. Church, this, this is a call for action. But before we close this morning, kind of change the pace a little bit, we have a little update from a friend of ours who's not with us today. So check out the screen. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Clark. It's almost two weeks past my surgery. 
I'm doing well. I'm getting stronger every day. I'm praying for you, and I'm looking forward to being back in the fall. God bless you all, and thank you for all your prayers and concern. Amen. So Pastor Clark is doing well. Uh, some of us staff have, have gone over and visited him, and it's just really great to see him up and moving. He is still healing, so we ask, as we have been asking, please don't show up at his house. Um, you know, please wait. We'll, we'll give you, as, as it gets a little further, ways that you can help and bless them. But church, thank you for bearing with us. I know that we were a little late today, but this was important. And so we made a conscious decision to go a little late because these kids are important. So let me give you the blessing, but continue this conversation as you go for fellowship. Receive the blessing. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.